Good morning. Welcome to Rainbow Mennonite Church this morning as we celebrate another part of the Christmas story. The Epiphany season starts 12 days after Christmas and ends 40 days after Christmas. A general definition of Epiphany is an intuitive grasp of reality through something such as an event. Epiphany celebrates the visit of the Magi to Christ, an intuitive grasp of Christ being present among us. My other epiphany this week was to connect White Southern with Texas with a poster that I believe was put out by NCC in the mid-1980s. I remember that poster reading, A Modest Proposal for Peace, Let the Christians of the World Resolve Not to Kill One Another. White Settlement, Texas is the home of the West Freeway Church of Christ, where their, uh, their Jack Wilson, one of six congregants who were armed, shot and killed a shooter. Three died in that church. I am sure that at the very least, Mr. Wilson cut short that sh- shooting spree. But my grasp of reality has changed when I realized that the overwhelming sense is that this is considered a good end to that attack. That six people felt, evidently rightly, that taking, to, taking a gun to church in White Settlement, Texas, was a reasonable thing to do. That only three people died that Sunday at the West Freeway Church of Christ. Clearly better than the 27 that died in 2017 at the First Baptist Church shooting in Southern Springs, Texas. Those people were legally allowed to carry a concealed weapon in church due to the Texas law that was passed after that 2017 shooting. Close to 40 years after modestly suggestions that Christians should agree not to kill one another, six people need to bring a gun to one church in Texas. That modest proposal still seems aspirational. Please join me in prayer. This week... We realize that people are still dying because of their religious beliefs, just as people are using their religious beliefs to justify killing others. Whether that is White Settlement, Texas, Charleston, Pittsburgh, Iraq, Syria, China, or any of the other hundreds of places throughout the world, we mourn all these losses. And we continue to celebrate those times when we recognize God amongst us, just as we celebrate when the Magi recognize God among them. Amen. Please join me in the call to worship. Our God, O oh God, our guide and helper, we come to worship you. O oh God, our just and holy one, we come to thank you. O oh God, our trustworthy leader, we come to praise you. God, we gather to worship, praise, and thank you. Amen. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I may too go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Uh, please turn your hymnals to him to a team and sing as directed in the morning. <laughs>
This past Friday, I made a to-do list, and without thinking much, I scribbled the words, put away Christmas, on my notepad. Later in the day, after I had boxed everything up carefully, I came across W.H. Auden's Christmas Oratorio. It's called For the Time Being. I'd like to read just a little bit of the monologue that he wrote, which is spoken after Christmas. Well, so bad as that. Now we must dismantle the tree, putting the decorations back into their cardboard boxes. Some have got broken, and carrying them up to the attic. The holly and the mistletoe must be taken down and burnt, and the children get ready for school. There are enough leftovers to do, uh, enough leftovers warmed up for the rest of the week. Not that we have much appetite, having drunk such a lot, stayed up so late, attempted quite unsuccessfully to love all of our relatives, <laughs> and in general, grossly overestimated our powers. Once again, as in previous years, we have seen the actual vision and failed to do more than entertain it as an agreeable possibility. Once again, we have sent him away. Well, as one of my good friends put it, for some of us, Jesus is like the relative we only see in host once a year. Well, that same day, in my attempt to declutter a bit and get the tree down before my cat took it down, I went to a thrift store and found uh, some humor and sadness in the fact that all of the Christmas items, including baby Jesus, were on the clearance aisle. Just think about that. Jesus on clearance. Well, one other poet, Anne Weems, I believe she's a, a Presbyterian, um, she writes this after the days of Christmas. I must admit to a certain guilt about stuffing the Holy Family into a box in the aftermath of Christmas. So, she promises, this year, when it's time to pack the figures away, will be more careful that the peace and goodwill are not also boxed for another year. Well, here at Rainbow, it's time to put the wreaths away after today, the trees, and unfortunately, after this Sunday, it's time to put this gorgeous light sculpture in a closet. A light sculpture in a closet <laughs> kind of makes one sad, doesn't it? Well, this light sculpture here has taken on different significance for me this year. Maybe that's because during Advent, I decided to sit on the front row for the bringing in of light, as opposed to sitting up here. I'm usually actually sitting a little too close uh, to the open flames to really appreciate it. If you, many people don't know it makes a lot of popping and whistling sounds. Uh, and there's so much fabric around, it makes me worry. Well, thanks to Leroy's seat uh, this year, um, who pointed out the mirror to me, which I had really never um, thought of, which is front and 
center. From sitting in the front row, I started to notice that I could see the congregation reflected back from where I was sitting. Blurry, yes, but I could still make out certain faces and colors. Well, Arlie Regeer, who was the mastermind and builder of this sculpture, together with his son Paul, never told me much about this sculpture while he was still living. In general, he didn't much enjoy interpreting his artistic work for you. Interpretation is your job, he would tell me, uh, especially when I would ask him about other pieces he created. Now, if you didn't know, Arlie Regeer is the one who built uh, the red tractor that's in Whitmore Playground across the street. He also has a piece in uh, Sunflower Room. If you haven't seen that, please take a look. We also have in the Wesley Room today some other pieces that Arlie made that were recently donated uh, to the church. I'd encourage you to check those out. There's also other pieces scattered throughout the church. There's one in the Remembrance Garden, uh, I believe it looks kind of like a sailboat. Well, Arlie died about a year after I arrived here as pastor. So there are a lot of questions I didn't get to ask him that I would have liked to ask, such as, why did he put a, front, a mirror front and center? Now, I did enjoy many conversations with Arlie, and I actually recorded some of these conversations with his permission. And this week, I felt compelled, for whatever reason, to revisit some of those conversations with Arlie. And I found in reviewing my notes, listening to the conversations again, I found so much wisdom and light for this Epiphany Sunday. A Sunday when we hear the ancient story of those distant travelers from the East who have this mysterious and yet unstoppable urge, this, this intuition, this inkling that a new birth was on the horizon for humanity. A new star was rising, and everything was about to change. So they came with only a star as their map in order to pay this new star. Well, as recorded in Matthew, this enraged, this, this frightened King Herod, and all of Jerusalem with him. And like the story in the Old Testament of Pharaoh plotting murderous schemes involving the slaughtering of innocents, Herod was up to a similar scheme. He decided to use these magi to learn the child's location. But these magi, they were skilled in seeing what others maybe could not see. For they saw through Herod's murderous schemes. And as Matthew tells us, they did not return to Herod as he had demanded. Rather, they left for their own country by another road. I've always loved that phrase. They left for their own country by another road. James Taylor has a great song by that title. I'll let you look that up afterwards if you want. Well, Epiphany 
is all about the light of Christ traveling further and further, down different roads, carried by people who speak different languages and have different customs. So with this story of the Magi in mind, I want to literally try to bring Epiphany, the spreading of light, home by sharing some of my conversations with Arlie about this light sculpture. So when I first opened my file called Notes with Arlie, I right away smiled because at the top are three words in all caps. Restoration, creativity, possibility. I imagine I noted these words, these three words, because those were the words he used most often during our visits. Creativity, restoration, possibility. I know many people see in the three lights uh, on that side, the Trinity, creator, redeemer, sustainer. I think now I'm going to think about those three words, restoration, creativity, and possibility in Christ. I also did not know that there are 24 lights up here, so thank you for the young one who counted. 24 hours in a day, there's also the number 7, there's just a lot of reflection here on time. Restoration, creativity, possibility in Christ in time. Well, the second set of words I have on my notes with Arlie are two questions, actually. They're my sermon title. These are questions that motivated Mar Arlie as a human, as a Christian, as a father, teacher, husband, rainbow member. These questions, these two simple questions, gave so much shape and meaning and drive to his life. What if, why not? As an industrial arts teacher, Arlie would try to get his young students to ask those questions whenever working on projects, especially when they were in the brainstorming or idea phase. What if, why not? It was a way for him to encourage his students to think outside the box a little bit, to not go with their first instinct. Because our instincts are often wrapped up in social and cultural conditioning. They may or may not be great, in other words. Well, as an example, Arlie loved to tell me about the sideways bicycle that he once built with his students. He made it out of disused bicycles that the, that the students brought. Well, of course, these junior hires never thought a sideways bicycle would work. You can't defy physics like that. But he proved everyone wrong. You just had to position your body in a different way when you turn in order to ride it. And it was rideable. And I've actually seen one of these sideways bikes. I think the Fred's family actually has it uh, where, they, where they live now. He once told me that whenever his students saw something that was maybe a little weird or off, they would say, oh, Mr. Regeer would love that. <laughs> that, for Arlie, was the highest praise. One time, apparently, 
um, speaking of high praise, he told me that during a session with junior hires, a visiting supervisor came by and the student proudly announced, we're inventors. That's the highest praise for Arlie. Well, what I learned from Arlie, and what I learned from so many of the creative people in my life, including my own spouse, is that it's tempting to just, or natural, to just settle with your first idea. But part of the fun, part of the creative process, is not settling or going with your first idea. It might be a good one, no doubt, but what if we don't settle right away? And what if we use more than just our rational minds? What if we let the subconscious mix in a bit? What if we let our brain pull in different ideas and memories and thoughts? That's where the magic is, according to Arlie. And perhaps that was what the magic was for the Magi. That allowed them to see and follow something that so many struggled to appreciate. This wisdom of not settling too quickly, I think could be applied to our relationships. Don't settle for the first thought that enters your mind about people based on their appearance, based on what you initially see. I learned this recently at the pool I swim at. There was an older woman who was um, rather shaky and could not even grip. I saw her in the locker room, couldn't even grip um, some, something she was trying to hold. Well, she showed up in the pool 10 minutes later, and I thought I'd have to be on lifeguard duty. She did not seem like someone who could swim. She got into the pool, and wouldn't you know, she swam faster than me. It was a lesson in not going with your first thought about people, letting yourself be surprised. What would it look like to not settle so quickly in our day-to-day, -day, maybe professional life? What if we noticed where this idea of restoration, creativity, and possibility are blocked? Well, I came across uh, an, a, a, uh, the third poem I want to share, part of a poem this week that was, uh, I think, in line with, with my hope that I... Uh, keep before me that challenge to not settle. It's actually by Howard Thurman, and it's called My High Resolve. I think this is a lovely New Year's Day prayer or poem. So let me share part of this. He writes, Keep fresh before me the moments of my high resolve. Despite the dullness and barrenness of the days that pass, if I search with due diligence, I can always find a deposit left by some former radiance. But, he says, little by little, there creeps into life the dust and the grit of the journey. 
details, lower level demands, all kinds of cross currents. Nothing momentous, he says, nothing too overwhelming, nothing flagrant, flagrant, just wear and tear. If there had been some direct challenge, a clear-cut issue, I would have fought it to the end and beyond. But in the quietness of this place, surrounded by the all-pervading presence, my heart whispers, Keep fresh before me the moments of my high resolve. That in fair weather or in foul, in good times or in tempests, in the days when the darkness and the foe are nameless or familiar, that I may not forget that to which my life is committed. Again, a good prayer, I think. Well, my own resolve right now is to try, as I may, to break out of some of my familiar routines. For example, I decided to start my week back at Rainbow by taking pictures of this church building from different vantage points. I went by the interstate. You can see the church from the interstate took a picture there. Went up top the hill, took a picture looking down. I resolved to try to come to church and leave home by other ways as a way to, um, I don't know, see different things, notice different paths, literally try different routes. I'm also looking forward to starting a new worship series here at Rainbow next week where we are going to start doing some biblical character studies. I want to preach on characters like Jonah, or I want to even preach on Ruth. I've never done that before. Uh, I think uh, Rosie might be interested in preaching about Lot's wife. Have you ever thought about her? Maybe not. You will soon. My hope is that we will see, that I will see, some of these stories and characters, perhaps in a different light, from a different perspective. I don't want to be someone who settles for what I just heard in Sunday school. Or I don't want to settle for what other Christians that I don't necessarily agree with have to say about these stories and characters. My goal, and I hope it's a collective goal, is that we will keep searching for the light pervading these stories, these characters, wanting, I believe, to reach us. Here and now. Well, I want to close here by returning to my notes with Arlene just briefly. In one of my last recorded conversations with Arlene, I told him that he was a bright light for me. And he said this I tried to be. Life can get so overwhelming, can't it? For people, for many people, he said. I hope the church can play a part. It can't be everything to everyone. That isn't realistic. But it can play a part, hopefully, he said. 
And then, as was our custom, my notes say that we ended our visit with sharing communion. And in my notes, I have recorded that Sue, his wife, is still living, an artist in her own way with words. Sue held the holy juice, as she called it, in her hands. Makes me a little emotional. She said, holy juice is hard to fit into a tiny cup. Yes, indeed. And that is ultimately what Epiphany is about. Perhaps it's what this sculpture points us to. Try as we might, we humans can't control, contain the light of God. Light in Christ will spill over. What the Magi teach us is how to follow and position ourselves in that light, becoming vessels and channels of that light. We can't be the source of that light, but it is available to each and every one of us. And we are invited to take part in its spreading. So before you leave today, maybe you can approach the mirror, look at yourself, think about the words, what if, why not? Think about restoration, creativity, possibility. Think about the words, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not. Let's stand as you are able and sing uh, the song printed on the back of your book.
each person that is part of our lives, our network. We all carry uh, various joys, those things that make our hearts sing, the ways that people care for us, celebrating new birth, new sense of wonder, new perspective. So thank you for relationships that nurture us, that jobs perhaps that challenge us in good ways. We also, each one of us, carry concerns, conflicts, ways we perhaps doubt ourselves or despair over what's happening in our city, in the country, in the world. We pray for those who are hurting in body, spirit, and mind, who are saying goodbyes that are so hard to say. People who are lonely and grieving through these holidays. We pray for people who are estranged from us, who we can't seem to regain relationship with, those in our family, in our church family. May your light continue to beckon us inspire us to share generously, to seek amends with people, to continue to grow as followers of Jesus. We do thank you for this church community or the communities that we are a part of that inspire our living, that give us that sense of high resolve to continue spreading light in this world that is so full of pain and discrimination, so many needs. May the church continue to play a part, a prophetic part. We will have blind spots and we will have limits, but may your grace and mercy abound, calling us ever forward. In Jesus' name.